0: Well, what we have been walking through these last literal hours of Jesus' life and earthly ministry before he's going to the cross. And he's been really wanting to impart to his 11 now disciples what matters most. And what matters most is his love for them. What matters most is the things he can share with them that in some ways they don't even have the capacity to receive. It's just too much. But he's giving them some things, and he's often telling them, I'm telling you this now, so when I leave, you'll remember what I said, which is just so confusing. And we've gone back into this whole rhythm of saying, what do you mean, Jesus, you're leaving? The whole point was following you, you being here, what do you mean you're leaving? And so lots of confusion, lots of just kind of anguish that the disciples are beginning to go through and try to figure out. And in the midst of all of this time of demonstrating servant love to teaching about the Holy Spirit to showing love, Jesus is now praying. And the first two-thirds of that prayer we looked at last week, and we, and we saw that it was kind of like the incredible privilege of going, in, in, in a sense, maybe privilege or maybe creepy, of looking at someone's diary. Because you're hearing him talk to the Father. You're hearing the things that are most deeply on his heart. As he's sharing with the Father, would you please do these things? And we move into this last third that we kind of set aside from the other two because there's just such an incredible power of realizing that Jesus prayed specifically for you. And and what we're gonna see at the first part of his prayer, we're gonna see a deep focus on the concept of not you, just you, but y'all of us. And what's interesting is that Jesus primarily prays for our unity, primarily prays that we would be one together with the Father, together with him, and together with one another and what that was going to mean in terms of our our witness to the world. And what we're going to see today is Jesus never prays, Father, would you constrain them Meaning, Father, would you make them to have to be one? Instead, what we're going to see is Jesus is praying, Father, would you give them all the necessary materials? Would you give them all the resources that they need? And out of that, would they choose, would they volitionally live united, live in unity? So the Father providing us what we need and us making a, a volitional choice to walk in unity, that's what today's passage is about. That's what this part of Jesus's prayer was about. And a simple question as we begin our time together today is, as the Father has done his part, simply asked, have we done ours? As he has given us every resource we need as a church family to walk in unity, have we engaged the part we're supposed to in order for that to be true? Well, that's what I'm excited to look at you, with you today. If you have your Bible open, John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. This is what Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone, them being the, t- the 11 disciples he's just prayed for. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And 2,000 years later, we are those people who continue to believe in the message of the original 11. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So this is the first part of this last third of Jesus' prayer and it's all about this concept of unity. But what I want you to see is, I just think of this incredible power. If you felt esteemed last week when we talked about Jesus praying for the 11 and, and even though you weren't one of those 11, you are still now today, if you put your faith in Christ, you're a disciple, you're a follower of his. So in in essence, he was praying those things for you, but then specifically, we just take that up a whole nother notch, he actually prayed for the people who would put their faith in him because of the message of the disciples. And we, through when you just think about that, I I would hope that would give you just a great sense of, of esteem and value But I want you to think about this. Think of the importance of that gospel message being passed down generation to generation, person to person. Because if there's a break in that chain somewhere, somewhere 1,500 years ago, somewhere 1,000 years ago, somewhere 100 years ago, you and I aren't here today with this sense of understanding and response to the gospel So how important that gospel message is that we keep communicating it and that there are more who would understand that Jesus was praying for them. Look in your notes. Jesus, just hours before he would go to the cross in your place, he prayed for you, prayed for the very one that he was sacrificing himself for. I just think that is so significant that Jesus would do that. And I want you to note what he prays for. I want you to note that he does not pray that you would be healthy. He does not pray that you would be wealthy. He does not pray that we would be well-respected. He does not pray that we would be successful. These are all things he could have prayed for in these last hours before going to the cross. He doesn't pray for any of those things. Instead, he prayed for our unity, that we would be one, and watch, we would be one as what? As he and the Father are one. That's what we talked about a minute ago. These materials, the the things that we would need to walk in unity have been provided by the dynamic relationship that the Son has with the Father. This should cause us to pause when we think about all the things that Jesus could have prayed for. He he could have prayed for our perseverance. He, He could have prayed that we would adhere to sound doctrine. He could have prayed that we would have courage I mean, all things that would be necessary as walking as a group of people in in following him, those would all be essential and important. But he doesn't pray for any of those things. Why would he pick this idea of unity primarily? And I think it has something to do with the fact that he knew it's what we needed the most. A man was stranded on an island, alone for a number of years, Finally, he was located by some people that came ashore to rescue him. Before they took him off the island, he wanted to show them around, show them what he had done. He took them over to his hut, and he said, this home I built with my own two hands. Then he showed them to another building, and he said, this is the church I built with my own two hands. Then someone in the group said, hey, what's that building over there? And the man replied, that's where I used to go to church before the split, I knew that tickle your funny bone. <laughs> we struggle with unity all by ourselves. Imagine the challenges, imagine the, the rate of difficulty the more we just expand, the more there are more of us. Jesus doesn't pray that the Father would simply provide something foreign or something outside of us that would be that which would unify us, that would draw us together, other than the dynamic relationship that he has with the Father, the relational unity that his people can have with this same Father and with one another. I hope that that image of Jesus, remember the second person, second member of the eternal Godhead, takes on the relationship of Son to Father. And I think the primary reason he does that, not only in demonstrating submission to the Father's will, but as a representation, as an understanding for us, We get to come to the father as his kids. So Jesus is saying in this relationship that I have with the father, my other brothers and sisters can have as well with him and with one another. The father provides the materials needed through this dynamic relationship of unity within the son, provides everything we need for our unity if we will walk in that same way. Some of you came last Saturday when we were doing the Mexico Loft House pre-build. And I think of that being a good illustration of this. You were told a few weeks before that you didn't need to bring lumber. You didn't need to come with nails. You didn't need to come with all those other things I don't know that go into uh, construction and carpentry, because that is not Todd's thing. But all the pieces and all the parts were going to be provided for you. What did you need to do? Come. Show up and assemble the pieces together according to the directions. That's that's what this concept of unity is. You have everything you need. We have everything we need to walk in unity. But our part, our contribution is simply engaging it. Is simply responding, is simply stepping in. This is a huge concept that gets missed so often. I feel like I didn't understand it for so many years. I felt like the local church was like a lot of other organizations where someone needed to derive, someone needed to identify hey, we need a cause, hey, we need a mission. Hey, we need some sort of unifying goal to go after, and every other organization that you know has those things, needs something to rally the troops, something to go get. Here's the powerful thing about Jesus's church. We don't need any of those things. We have them, but they're not essential because what we have, what binds us together is the very spirit of God, And within that spirit is this unifying concept that we have all that we need. You're holding it in your hands. And our call is to remain unified, not to create it, not to develop it, but to have what we already have in our possession to nurture that. Look in your notes. For Jesus' church, unity isn't something we need to manufacture on our own, not something we need to derive but something that we're given that we, in turn, are called to nurture and steward. That makes the local church so unique from any other organization on the planet is that we already have unity. We have unity in the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the Spirit of God as we do life together. And what we're called to do is to maintain that unity, not to create it. That is a powerful thing. You don't start from zero in the church. We're already out here. But the goal and the work is to maintain that unity that we already have. This is as much as what Paul would say to the Christians living in Ephesus. Look at this passage from Ephesians 4. It's so powerful. Chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And what does that look like? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Look at that. Make every effort to keep, not to find, not to create, not to derive, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Oh, my word. Look at that. Paul says that there is an inherent unity that we have as the the people of God because of what we were called into. And you'll note that in the last three verses, we looked at six verses of Ephesians 4, the last three verses just scream all the evidences of what we have unity in. Because we put our faith in one son who comes from one father, who's given us one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, we have unity. It's inherent within us. Seven times in three verses, Paul uses the word one. Talk about emphasis. Talk about a desire that you and I not miss it. So the unity is there. That's not the issue of do we have it, should we have it. It's inherent among us. Will we maintain it? Will we keep it? That's the call. And note the first three verses. He calls him, he urges him to live a life out of the calling that they've received, meaning they've been called into the family of God, and now walk worthy of that, walk in alignment with that. And that calling requires humility, gentleness, patience, loving with one another, loving one another in a bearing kind of way, like we just keep going. And he goes on to direct them. He commands them to exert effort, make every effort. And I used to, when I would read this passage, I used to think make every effort would just be kind of bear down, white knuckle, just try harder. And I didn't even know in what direction. But then I was reminded in our last season that verse three is simply talking about verse two. The effort, the areas in which I'm supposed to apply How we maintain, how I am responsible to this body for maintaining unity is by being a person of humility. Being a person who demonstrates patience. Being a person who has this great sense of bearing with one another in love. Being gentle. Those qualities, that's what I'm to engage. None of those are passive. None of those are just sit on the sidelines and hope it all goes well. Those are all active ways I contribute to maintaining, to keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this reality is that our unity is something that is noticeable, watch this, one way or the other. Meaning that we have it and we're walking in it or we don't. It's not subtle and it's not missed. Carson, talking back to our original passage from John 17, this is what he says. Although the unity envisaged in this chapter is not institutional, this purpose clause at the end of verse 21 shows beyond possibility of doubt that the unity is meant to be observable. It is not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but how? But by common adherence to the go- to apostolic gospel by love that is joyfully self-sacrificing, by undaunted commitment to the shared goals of the mission with which Jesus' followers have been charged, by self-conscious dependence on God himself for life and fruitfulness. This is what our unity fleshes out like. It is a unity necessarily present. It is a unity that must be brought to perfection. It is a unity that is necessarily present, and it must be brought to perfection, to completion, to maturity. I think back to about a year ago, this time, the elders were committed to process. we just believe that every church on the planet coming still through the pandemic needed to just reimagine, re-envision how we move forward, how every church should do that everything the game had changed so much. And so out of this refreshed vision that we communicated to Trinity Church, it's amazing. it comes from Paul's prayer to the Christians at Rome and it's amazing how much of that prayer, centers around the concept, again, of our unity. Romans 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Why? So that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as is always important to me, let's be practical. How does this flesh out? What does this begin to look like actively for us in this local body? A lot of good things that are true of the body of Christ are a local fellowship. What about this? What about Trinity Church? And what I would say is it's taking to heart God just kept drilling Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 into my heart during our most difficult times and times when it was obvious in my own evaluation of me, Todd, you're not doing that. Todd, you're not walking in humility. You're not walking in gentleness. You're not walking in patience. You're not walking in bearing with one another in love. Looking in the mirror, not out the windows at everybody else, that's one of the first things we can do. Evaluate yourself. How are you doing And making every effort to do those things? We're called to that. That's this life worthy of our calling. But the other part is simply engaging, walking out, what so many of you in this room online on the pavilion have already done. You've signed a membership covenant with Trinity Church. If you haven't, you still could. You can join Trinity Church and and really kind of join in this sense of saying, I want to be committed to a local body. I want to to be a part of these dynamic relationships that the Father has with the Son. I want to have with brothers and sisters. But in that membership covenant, take a look at it, by the way. You will not be able to read it from this far away. (laughs) And if you can, you have amazing vision, okay? Okay. But you'll know there's a red box around a part of it. Let me now make that a little bit bigger. And as it's talking through our relationship to one another, it's fascinating that that covenant reads a lot more like a bill of responsibilities, not a bill of rights. These are all the things I covenant to do. And then in the middle, you have that part that I put a box around. I commit to protect Trinity's unity. There's a whole clause about being a people who will walk in unity. How? By doing these things. By supporting its leaders. By bearing others' burdens. And by guarding my tongue. Things that you and I have committed to... We've come to understand what they mean. We've signed on a line, covenanted. We're gonna be these kind of people because unity doesn't just happen. Unity isn't just something we naturally walk in. We're given all the resources that we need for it. But Paul calls us in the book of Ephesians to strive after it, to make every effort to maintain it. So there is a necessary component of our responsibility. Now, just so you know, you're like, Todd, are you preaching out of the covenant? No, because the cool thing is, church leaders at Trinity years ago, decades ago, they put these things in writing that simply come out of scripture. Look for each one of these. There's a true and just simple biblical basis for each of these concepts, the idea of supporting its leaders. So by the way, if you're here going, Todd, I'm not a member, am I off the hook? (laughs) Biblically, no. This is what it says, Hebrews chapter 13. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you. Some translations, they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Three key words I bolded, have confidence, submit, and pray. These are ways that you support your leaders. Bearing one another's burdens comes right out of Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry, bear each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Engage with one another, build each other up, and be there for each other when things are hard. That's one thing I've appreciated from Trinity, about Trinity from the very beginning, Jared mentioned earlier today that we are a church of burden-bearing relationships, burden-bearing fellowships. It's important to us, and we do. I I want to encourage that. We do that. When people are hurting, people especially in those small groups, those home groups, rally around them. There's someone I'm aware of at Trinity who's had just some really challenging medical things that came out of left field. And when we were checking in and saying, how are you guys doing? I loved the report. Our home group has us. Man, they're taking such good care of us. We're good. That's what that looks like. That's one of the ways that looks like of bearing one another's burdens. And finally, by guarding my tongue, James 1.26, those who consider themselves religious And yet, do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Deceive themselves. You're fooling yourself. And their religion, excuse me, their religion is worthless. So here's what it looks like at Trinity Church. If we're to be a people who are going to engage, maintain, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, we will have to demonstrate effort. We will have to strive to walk in those qualities that Paul said of the Ephesian church, humility and patience and gentleness and bearing with one another in love, but even very specifically at Trinity. If you are someone who's made a part of a covenant with this church, with this body, it's saying, I'm going to respond in these types of ways. The other things on the covenant talk about very active things that contribute to the health of Trinity, like finding a place to serve, consistently giving, being a part of a small group. Those are all parts of those responsibilities that we said, yes, I'll be a part of that. I want a covenant with Trinity to be that. But the minute that we begin thinking that our covenant with Trinity is more of something of what it allots for me, rather than something I'm committed to give to, Man, we've created this really bad dynamic that membership equals privilege. Membership equals entitlement. When if you read the covenant, membership equals responsibility. And membership equals engagement. So we have, like this prayer even says, we have the things we need to walk in unity. God's given us all the materials. The simple thing is, will we engage our part in it? What are the results in Jesus' prayer when we walk in complete unity that the world will know that the Father sent the Son? It is an incredibly rich testimony and witness to the world. Carson says it well. This is what he wrote. As the display of genuine love amongst the believers attests that they are Jesus' disciples. We read that earlier in chapter 13. So this display of unity is so compelling, is so unworldly, That their witness as to who Jesus is becomes explainable only if Jesus truly is the revealer from whom whom the Father has sent. I love the way he states that. There's no other explanation for their unity aside from the fact that Jesus is the one who draws them together. Jesus is the unifying factor. Let's continue on in Jesus' prayer. Chapter 17, verse 24. Father... I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Note again this reference that Jesus makes to those you've given me. He said that last week in the earlier part of the prayer, just a paragraph before we're looking at today. So he makes this reference again, God, you've, Father, you've uniquely given me a group of people and none of them, like we saw last week, none of them will be lost. Jesus is going to accomplish his mission both by going to the cross to be the atoning sacrifice for sin, but also to bring his people home to him, both parts of Jesus's mission he's going to accomplish. He's already told them that's the reason why I'm leaving. In chapter 14, I'm leaving so I can go and prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you to where I am. And why does Jesus want this to happen? So that they, so that we, this is still the context, those who would believe in the disciples' message, so that we would see his glory. So that we would behold it, the essence of who he really is. And where does that come from? It comes from the relationship that, and the love that the father has for the son. He noted earlier, last week in the portion we looked at, the same concept about before the world began, Father, I was with you and I want to return to that glory. I want to have that unity with you once again. This is what we read from last week, John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you, watch, before the world began. I said this last week, and I have to say it again. Good teachers, religious rabbis, don't make statements like that. If you're here today and you wanna put Jesus in a in a category of just being a really good man, of a good religious teacher, Jesus didn't leave you that option. He's connecting himself to the Father as though he is one with him. No mortal human being would ever attest to such a thing, but Jesus is no normal mortal human being. He's the very son of God. And that's why he's able to pray that prayer, and that's why he's able to say that with great confidence. John, the human author of this gospel that we're looking at, he would receive a vision, multiple visions, and he was told to write them down. And as he did, one of these visions that he received was exactly what Jesus prayed for, that we would behold the glory of the Son, or according to Revelation 5, we would behold the glory of the Lamb. Verse 9, and they sing a new song saying, you, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Watch, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne with the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature under heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Yea, God. Yea, God. Lastly today, John 17 25. Righteous Father, this is back to Jesus' prayer. Though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me i have made you known to them and will continue to make them known make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and i myself may be in them and jesus underscores in this last part of his prayer these by the way are the final words we jump into John 18 next week and we see the beginning of Jesus' arrest. So these are the final words of this moment of this prayer. And what Jesus is recounting is that the Father is a God of revelation. Jesus saying, I have made you known to them. You're not a secret God in a deep, dense forest with a little yellow flag calling people to come find you. You are announcing yourself to them. Not only in the first century, but still today, how? Through the witness of the church. God is a God of revelation. He wants people to know who he is and respond accordingly, appropriately to the gospel. And we finish with this great phrase, how was this ongoing revelation? Jesus is saying, I'm going to continue to make you known. How is he going to do that? And it all comes back again through this beautiful, these words, it's a, a tidal wave of love. Love, Father, is how people are going to keep knowing who you are. Infusing into their very lives the love the Father has for the Son, it will be theirs and it will be so close to them, it will be in them And due to the thoughts we looked that Jesus said back in chapter 14, he was sowing seeds. Look at this again, chapter 14, verse 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Think of that unity. Think of that connection at all three levels. I'm in the Father. You're in me. You're in the Father. All these connections of oneness and and unity Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, watch. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is love. This is the way that the son prayed for you. Hours before he would go to the cross, these are the things that mattered most. My prayer is this week that we would walk, we would make every effort to maintain the unity of this fellowship. It's not hypothetical, it's not theoretical, it's very true, it's very practically expressed. And as, they, as we do that, Would a lost and dying world see what God has done and is doing among us and want to know his love as well? Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you today as a people who are so grateful for this passage, so grateful for this prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus praying for this final lap. Jesus praying for the 11. And here today, Jesus praying for us. And it's powerful to stop and understand that in an odd way, our obedience to him and our love for one another is the answer to his prayer. That's how unity is maintained and kept. And so I pray for us, the local church of Trinity Church, Would you help us to hold tightly to what you've put among us? And would you give us every effort, God, give us strength to make every effort to maintain that unity through the bond of the Spirit. If you're here today, I'm not gonna ask you primarily to respond by becoming a member of Trinity Church, even though for many of you that would be a great next step. That kind of accountability, that kind of connection, that bond to this group of people would be powerful. But for some of us, we need to kind of go upstream a little bit more. It's not about attending or being a member of a local church, it's about being in the family of God. And this same Jesus, who just hours after this prayer is going to go to the cross, he's going to go to the cross to die in your place, the place you and I deserve. He's going to take it willingly. So that in him, we would become the righteousness of God as he becomes the payment of sin. And so I'd say to you today, there is a way to respond to this great news, this invitation in the gospel by A, admitting, admitting that even though God created the world perfect and right, sin entered into the world and you are a partaker of it. You have lived your life missing the mark again and again, just like every other human being on the planet. Admit that you have sinned and that's your failure that makes a relationship problem with the Father. But be believe. Believe that Jesus came to make that right. He came to do something about that by living the sinless life, by dying a sacrificial death. And on three, after the third day, by being raised supernaturally, believe that Jesus is the only Savior available and see his choose. Choose right here, right now. Jesus, I need you. I need what you did for me and thank you that you've loved me so much that it would move you to give your life in my place. I want to live my life moving forward, living out obedience, walking, following Jesus's example. You could pray that prayer before you leave this place today and I would just beg you, don't take another day. Father, this week, would we be the answer to Jesus's prayer? Would we live and walk? Would we make every effort to maintain the unity that is inherent among us, the unity of your very spirit that indwells each one? Father, would we do what you've called us to do, to live a life worthy of that calling? And would Trinity Church just demonstrate this great sense of, of not only obedience to you, but a winsomeness to our community that so badly needs you. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen. We're gonna give you an opportunity to do something a little bit different today. One of the things that we talked about of this sequence of what we as a church, what things that we've committed to protect, our unity, one of those was to bear others' burdens, And i had given you an illustration of one way that a home group is bearing burdens, but another way of bearing burdens is to pray for one another. So I'm going to encourage you to do something a little bit outside of the comfort zone. But I'm going to encourage you to find some someones. Whether it's turning around and praying for the people you're near, turning towards each other, take literally just a few seconds to find out what's one thing that's burdening you that I could bring to the Father on your behalf? What's one way I could pray for you this morning? Groups of three or four, just real briefly, pray for one another. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ, bearing one another's burdens. Let's take a few minutes to do that. And if you're just saying, Todd, that's just so far out of what I possibly could do today, then I'd at least ask you, would you take a moment and just pray for Trinity? Pray for Trinity's unity as we move into a new season. It's going to be so absolutely critical. The band's going to be playing underneath, and when that time has kind of come together, Ben's going to lead us into a final song today, right? Spin around. Do it right now. We'll call you back.